Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiad, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah Philippiad. What is up, Flip Upon Am I? Welcome to episode 88 of the Flipside Podcast. There's a lot cooking over here in Flipside World. I'm very excited for today's episode with Crystal Renaud Day. Uh, you know, I'm the author of Beyond the Battle. We talk quite a bit on the podcast about sexual sin, pornography, uh, sexual temptation, sexual sexual integrity, sexual purity, whatever kind of words that you want to use for it. And I've I've noticed that when we have these conversations, for me, obviously, as a guy, uh, I'm working with men through these issues. I'm also a pastor, though, and I pastor men and women. And I've gotten the chance to speak recently at some youth groups in the area, talking to obviously men and women. And more and more women are struggling with pornography. And uh, Crystal and SheRecovery.com have a really great ministry uh, for women who are struggling. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's conversation. I do want to let you know, uh, if you're driving around listening to the podcast in the car or whatever it may be, uh, if you have kids... Uh, with you, uh, you there's going to be some mature level uh, words used and, and uh, you know, mature level conversation happening. So I would encourage you uh, to not listen to this episode uh, with kids around. So I will read you Crystal's bio here in a moment. One uh, couple of quick uh, flip side world things that are exciting. Uh, I've been working for a while to t- turn Beyond Ministries into a 501c3. So Beyond Ministries, uh, we do groups. Uh, you can go to beyondthebattle.net. If you're a guy, you can sign up for a group. And we go through seven weeks uh, through the book Beyond the Battle, giving you tools to overcome sexual sin. And then you jump into an alumni community. The alumni community has been awesome. It is a huge uh, part of my own personal community, my own personal accountability, and some of my deepest friendships. The alumni community is free. Anybody that goes through the seven-week Beyond the Battle group uh, jumps into one. It's becoming a big part of my ministry, and I know a lot of alumni guys are listening to this as well. So this is the first time I've really publicly announced that I have turned Beyond Ministries into a 501c3 nonprofit. And the reason for doing that, uh, so so one of the reasons is um, you can give a donation now, and it will be tax uh, deductible on on your uh, your giving for the year. And uh, I'm still pastoring. I'm still pastoring Mosaic Church, but this is a, a win-win. Through a, you remember, I did a sabbatical. Uh, from the podcast back in the spring, and this is part of what came out of that sabbatical was I'm doing a lot, and what uh, God has kind of opened up some doors to get some more hands on deck. And so one of the ways I'm going to be doing that is reducing my role at Mosaic, where I'm still uh, the church planting pastor, but we're opening up some pastoral residencies and in those pastoral, well, at least one residency, possibly two, uh, where we want to then cultivate a co-pastor model. Again, tying into episode 87 with Peter Sung, trying to even get away from the this this one-man one celebrity, uh, even in, we're not celebrities in a small church plant, but that American idea of a one-person one celebrity um, leader. Uh, but in a small church, it's still one person, for me personally, uh, psychologically, 
it can end up carrying a lot of that weight. And so how do you do that? You develop co-pastors, but in our model, we're all going to be part-time. Uh, and so part of my what my other part-time will be is being this podcast, uh, Beyond Ministries, uh, and some other ministry opportunities as well. So uh, what I'm asking for is for you to consider uh, being one of my supporters. And so uh, what you would do is go to noahflipiak.com slash give or uh, beyondthebattle.net slash give. They'll both send you to the same place. There'll be information on there about how you can become uh, a recurring giver or a one-time giver. Uh, we still have Patreon going on. Patreon is, is, is super fun and uh we're going to do both. Basically, Patreon is if you want to be a small supporter of the podcast, you can give $3, $5, $10 a month. You get some sweet Flipside swag, like my third favorite podcast is the Flipside mug here. Uh, and that's a great way to support the podcast. What I'm asking for this Beyond Ministries, the 501c3, would be larger monthly commitments of saying, I believe in the ministry of Beyond the Battle. I believe in the ministry of really what Noah is doing, what I'm doing with my writing, uh, the future books. I'm working right now on a teen edition of Beyond the Battle, a teen edition that will be for uh, both young men and young women. Continue to invest in the alumni group and being a resource hub uh, to be a resource to send you places uh, like SheRecovery.com for women and things like that. So if, if that's something that you get excited about and say, yes, I want to see more of that, uh, I want to make it possible that Noah could go part-time at the church and doing this stuff part-time, again, noahflipiak.com slash give or uh, beyondthebattle.net slash give is your place uh, to do that. I encourage you to jump on Patreon as well, patreon.com slash noahflipiak. It's a fun way to support the podcast and give a shout out to Angry Brew, which is in my Flipsides uh, mug, angrybrew.com and fivelakes.com for supporting the show. And you can pick up some coffee from them. Use promo code FLIP and you will get uh, 10% off your order, and it's a great way to support uh, the show as well. So uh, let me read you Crystal's bio, and then we'll jump into this interview again. A reminder, uh, if you're listening with uh, kids around, you'll, you'll want to not do that. You'll want to listen when there's not kids around. Um, and uh, in the show notes, every, every Flipside show, we have our Covenant Eyes affiliate link and our Accountable to You affiliate link. I fully agree with Crystal. We need to get below the surface of just the behaviors to the heart level. I also, as I'm sure she does as well, fully believe in dealing with the behaviors and the, the symptom level stuff as well so that we can get sober, so that we can get uh, to the, I think it's easier to get to the heart level when we're, we're not continuing you know, the, the pattern of piling more and more fuel onto the fire. So uh, just because we're going to be talking about pornography in today's episode, if you're struggling with pornography, a, a man or a woman, I encourage you to go to CovenantEyes.com, use promo code BEYOND, and you'll get your first month for free. I also use Accountable to You, and you can go, uh, don't use www on this, uh, just go to a, the number two, u.app slash beyond. And again, that's in the show notes, and that'll get you a free month of Accountable to You. Uh, and with that, let's jump into our interview with Crystal. Uh, Crystal Mernade is a pastoral counselor, certified coach, podcast host, if I could talk, that would be helpful, podcast host, author, and speaker with 15 years of experience 
working with women facing pornography and other unwanted sexual behavior. She holds a master's in pastoral counseling from Liberty University and numerous certifications in counseling and coaching specialties from the American Association of Christian Counselors. Crystal owns and operates Living on Purpose, Coaching, and Pastoral Counseling, and is the founding director of SheRecovery.com, an online ministry helping women overcome porn and sexual addiction. Her, her work has been featured in the New York Times, ABC News, CNN, Christianity Today, The 700 Club, and more. She's authored several books, including 90 Days to Wholeness and Dating Done Right. Crystal resides in the Kansas City area, with her husband, Tim. So with that, let's jump into this interview with Crystal. I think you'll be really encouraged and inspired. Here we go. All right, Crystal, welcome to the flip side. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Noah. Glad to be with you finally. Yeah, it's great to have you. Well, I'm excited for this conversation. You know, uh, I mean, we talk about all kinds of topics on my podcast, not just about sexual purity, pornography things, but of course, with my book, Beyond the Battle, uh, which is a book for men, helping men uh, overcome sexual addiction, porn addiction, uh, whatever word, you know, you kind of want to use. We certainly, uh, I shared my story a lot on here. I've interviewed various guests in the uh, in, in that are ministering uh, to men. And I'm really excited, you know, to hear your story and to hear about your ministry. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, I I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I, I've got to, um, this is always talked about, this being pornography, um, talked about as a men's issue in the church, right? It's it's talked about, uh, when if it is talked about in church, it's talked about to men. Uh, and I am wondering, uh, just what your thoughts are on that uh, as a woman who's helping women overcome uh, struggles with pornography. What is that like to hear uh, the the struggle of pornography talked about in the church only uh, as a men only issue? It's always been my experience that that's been the general narrative is that it's a men's issue, especially within the church before walls of the church. It was my experience being a teenager watching porn and hearing my own pastor talk about men don't watch porn. It's adultery. It's not it's not uh, honoring to your wives or your families. And so from a very young age, in terms of my story, um, what that did for me was told me as a woman that there was something wrong with me because mm -hmm. it's not something that is being presented as something that is male and female in terms of in terms of a problem. And so really the the narrative was men watch porn. And so to me, it was, well, men watch porn. And since I watch porn as a woman or as a young girl, that means that I'm like a man or that I'm not like a real woman. Mm. Um, and so it really did create just kind of a identity crisis in a sense too, that there was something wrong with me that I was a woman who watched porn. And I think that that has continued. I'm talking about, I mean, I'm 30, almost 39 years old next month. And um, I was 10 when I was exposed to porn, 19 when I entered into recovery. And so we're talking, you know, a long time of this same narrative. And unfortunately it just hasn't seemed to change. Um, and it's continued to be a problem in terms of how it makes women feel um, but also the, the the extra shame that comes with that, because, yeah. you know, if, if we aren't the ones who are supposed to be tr struggling, then we're not going to tell somebody that we are. Right. 
Yeah, I was thinking when it's when porn is talked about for for guys that are struggling, there's often shame felt and and there's this feeling of well, I'm not going to I'm not going to get help because I feel all the shame, you know, around it, but at least it's it's being talked about it like mm-hmm. I can't imagine the that double sort of portion of shame mm-hmm. that you've had to experience when uh it 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 feels like hey this is this this is this bad thing that guys struggle with but if you're a woman then it's re it must be really bad that that we can't even we can't even address it or talk about it i mean is that sort of yeah. uh where that comes from and and how would you what advice would you give to women who are who are working through that yeah it's it's tough because honestly the women who come to us at she recovery even still, we've been in some form or fashion, I've been doing this work for 15 years or more. Um, but as a as an online entity, we've been doing it since 2009. And so it, it saddens me that we still get messages from women who were saying who would say, I thought I was the only one I thought I was alone. Um, and so what I say to her as I really try to say and even use statistics for this, you know, to tell to, to be able to show her that you aren't alone. Um, let my story be a testament. One, because obviously, if I also watched porn and struggle with pornography, then you're not alone, even if it's just two, the two of us, right? Um, it's the whole like me too thing. Like, it's this is also a problem for me. Um, but Pornhub, biggest porn site in the world, they they claim that 36% of their worldwide viewership is female. Hmm. Um, that's based on registered accounts. You know, so we just did a survey recently at She Recovery and found that of those who watched porn, less than 90 or, uh, yeah, more than 85% of those who were surveyed uh, didn't ever create an account mm-hmm. on a porn website. And so um, to me, that shows that women are more secretive. They're more, they watch, their, they don't leave a paper trail as much as maybe men, men do. And so I really try to let women know, like, even the biggest porn site in the world is showing that over a third of their viewership is female. Um, and so you can't possibly be the only one. Um, and so I try to reiterate that, like, that's not saying that it's okay. And like, Oh, Oh, you know, more than a third of porn population watches porn or more than porn viewership was, you know, watches porn as women. Um, that's okay. It, it just, it's to say you're not alone, but let's get some help for you. Now that, now that you know, you're not alone. And there's hope for you. Let's let's work on it. Yeah. And in the church, we need to do a much better job when we do talk about pornography to talk about it, uh, talk to men and to women. And when we provide resources uh, to provide resources for men and for women, Mm -hmm. I think I think that's that's huge. Uh, I'm I'm working. And there's certainly value in a books, books like yours for women, a book like mine for men. There's certainly value in resources that are for men only resources mm-hmm. for women only in groups and those sorts of things. But, mm-hmm. uh, when we, when we talk about it, uh, I think it's, it's really important that we, um, and, and for me, I would say, I don't know when it started, um, the last few years, uh, coming in contact with some of your resources has really helped me as well. Um, to start, there was this process of me having to go, oh yeah, I need to change as a pastor. I need to change the way um, and as someone, even in my sort of, you know, niche of this ministry world and those yeah. that might listen to me, I need to start changing. Uh, and one of the reasons I want to do this episode is to start yeah. helping listeners change, um, to, to say that, yeah, this is an issue 
that affects everybody. And we need to start approaching it that way. And it doesn't mean that it's okay, like you said, uh, but it does normalize the conversation. It normalizes the, the ability, you know, to be able to reach out and get help. Yes, absolutely. What advice would you have? There are, uh, I, I don't know the stats, but um, I'll just go to like the stereotypical um, situation. You know, the guy struggling with pornography and the wife uh, is like, how could you ever, how could you ever, you know, look, look at porn, right? And mm-hmm. and um, uh, I, I'm curious in that situation. And first, let me say, I don't, I don't judge those women. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I, I understand the, the betrayal and trauma that they feel. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, but I also wonder for a woman like that, who might be listening. Um, I think it's important that she is an approachable person for other women. So, so a woman in the church that doesn't struggle with porn and a woman who frankly never has, and just, just doesn't see any allure to it whatsoever. And, and, um, uh, and can't imagine why her husband, you know, would would keep going to this, and, and really has some maybe some strong feelings about about this. Um, I think I don't know how to put this into words. I know there's some sensitive some some sensitivity here, but um, I think if that woman is in a small group with a woman who is struggling with porn, it's important that um, she's able to be an approachable person, so that a, a woman who's struggling with porn can open up and not be treated mm-hmm. as if um she's doing the worst sin in the world or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. Do you do you have any um advice for women who don't struggle and how they can be an approachable person for other women who might struggle? Yeah, it's interesting. Um it's an interesting thought. Um because I, I've experienced that in um like doing an exhibit table at a conference or something like that where mm-hmm. maybe there are a lot of betrayal trauma topics. Um, a lot of wives who are struggling, a lot of ministries related to that. Fortunately, there are a lot of issues with that in the world anyway. Um, and oftentimes, and I, I say often because it probably happens at least once every time I go somewhere, um, a woman who is, is experiencing betrayal trauma will come to my table and will basically say, I can't imagine any woman would want to watch porn. Um, which, of course, that tells me again as a woman that there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. um, or, that there's, or that there's something wrong with them that we work with, obviously. Um, and so we have to really kind of help them to understand, like, you may not have ever thought you'd watch porn or that you may not, not may not understand what would drive a woman to watch porn or even your husband, why they'd be drawn to watching porn. But um, you may have another sin in your life that maybe I would never consider that maybe I would never imagine doing or you've experienced things in your life that I would never have done. Um, So we have to think about it in terms of like every sin, it really in the eyes of God is the same. The consequences are different. We know that that sexual sin has great consequences. Um, Murder. It's a great consequence to murder, you know, all of these things. Um, But that God sees sin as sin and it's all been covered by the blood of Christ. And so we can't look at someone's sin and say, I can't imagine ever doing that or why anybody would ever want to do that. We really have to look at them with, look at everyone's sin with a greater sense of grace. Because obviously we are creating, we have a ministry, we're doing what we want to do to help women with this. Those who are, who we, who we are working with are coming to us in repentance. They're coming to us with a desire to change. Yeah. And so I think that if they're coming to you, 
you know, you need to be somebody that they can come to in repentance and experience grace and not judgment. Um, it's not to say that their behavior is okay. Again, going back to that other conversation, you want to direct them towards resources that will help them to overcome. But you yourself cannot allow your pain, the experience that you've had and as a betrayed spouse, um, to cloud your ability to show grace to others who may be struggling. And I think that's what I see a lot is the is the deep pain, which I'm not discounting that. It's, I'm not, not negating the pain. Honestly, even as a former addict myself, if I found out my husband was watching porn, that would wreck me. You know, so I understand that that's that is that is a terribly painful experience to have that that feeling to have that betrayal happen. Um, but I've had other sins done against me in my life that weren't related to porn, but I've been sinned against by people, and I can't judge or or punish other people for the sins of others. I think it's really important that we can we can, we really have to try to disconnect our pain and our experience from the experience of others because that woman in your group had nothing to do with what's happened with your husband and just because you can't personally relate to that sin doesn't mean you might not find yourself in that sin later. Um I right. never ex- I never expected to be a porn addict when I was 10 years old. Yeah. You know. I think that's also important to think about too, is most adults who watch porn didn't find porn as adults. This has been a long time Mm -hmm. journey um, with this, with this, with this horrible companion. Mm. Um, And it has brought, they brought it into the marriage with them. They bring into the church with them. They're bringing it into every relationship they've had with them. And so it's important that we, that we disconnect again, our, our perceptions, our preconceived ideas, so that we can actually be a- available and open to other people um, who are struggling. I think about this in terms of I'll, it's kind of a tangent, but hope you, hope you allow me to do this. I think about this in terms of even the LGBTQ community. Um, like I myself, yeah, I struggle with same-sex attraction when I was watching porn, but I didn't when I became free. But I think about somebody else who maybe. Um, in a small group who's struggling with same-sex attraction or whatever. And if you're sitting there with such con- condemnation for that community, are they ever going to come to you and say, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction? Or, um, and honestly, I'm not saying that, that those things are okay or that we're, we're affirming or, or um, you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not getting affirming or whatever in that situation. But we have to be able to say, even if we've never experienced it, even if we don't understand that, we have to be open enough to have that conversation and say that I can't imagine living that way or feeling that way, but I want to be someone somebody can come to when they're struggling so that they can see me represent Christ to them. Because Christ wouldn't have just been like, I can't imagine someone sitting like right. that and, and not and not being available to them. He, he would correct them and he would say, that's not the way, but um, but there's grace in that. Like the, that tension of, of of knowing it's wrong and still experiencing that. It's a, it's a, it's a deep tension. That's what sin is. Um, but we have to be able to be vulnerable and open with people no matter what they're struggling with. Yeah, that's really helpful. I think it's a helpful 
analogy too, because there there's the when the the most judgmentalism comes in the church, it's typically when it's a sin that I don't struggle with. So, you know, I'm not going to really talk a lot about the sins I struggle with, but I will go crazy, you know, preaching against (laughs) the sins that like, I just don't struggle with that just don't have an appeal to me. And, and we see that with um, LGBTQ sexuality all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I could see that being helpful as an analogy for somebody that doesn't struggle with porn, uh, but, but who, uh, and, and I, I feel like, um, and this could just be my observation of culture, but it feels like as our culture gets more and more, I mean, not gets, it's already gotten, um, as the internet, uh, smartphones, as these have become just prevalent everywhere and, and Mm -hmm. kids, kids are getting smartphones in elementary school. They're getting exposed to pornography at much younger ages, it's just a very different, uh, we live in a very different world yeah. uh, than we did when it comes to pornography uh, than we did, you know, f- 40, 50 years ago. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of what like the heyday of Playboy magazine would have been or something back in the 60s or 70s. 60s, 70s, yeah. Yeah, these would have been like men's magazines. That's, just, that's what they were called, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, they were targeted to men. They were marketed to men. And so I could see back then um, going this is only a men's issue, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. And not, not to say that it would have been only a men's issue back then, but I think 2023 and, and moving forward, the, the statistics are just climbing higher and higher and higher when it comes to women, um, young adult women, uh, you know, just probably children as well that are getting um, exposed to pornography mm-hmm. uh, at just unprecedented rates than we've ever seen before. And I feel like the church, um, if, if, if you're someone who's been able to dodge that, praise God. I mean, praise God that you were mm-hmm. able to dodge like the influence of porn finding you yeah. in, in your life. Um, but to realize that the landscape of uh, humanity and the landscape of the church has changed and that um, we have to be a place of empathy. We have to be a place of empathy, um, even if it's a sin we don't struggle with. Right. So mm-hmm. I think I think what you're doing is really important because it helps. um it helps shine, shed shed light on that, certainly to guys and to pastors, but I, I hope also to fellow women uh, who can, because um, that's that's where, you know, you think about men's ministries and churches, women's ministries and churches. This is going to be where a woman is going to feel the most comfortable coming to a somebody, coming to a leader saying, hey, mm-hmm. I'm struggling with porn. It's probably not going to be in her mixed, you know, um, both gender small group that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that comes out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm wondering if you could, um, you've shared some of your story a little bit throughout the interview. If, if you could kind of, um, I was thinking of leading with this, but I thought I'd ask a couple questions first. Um, but could you kind of just share your story about, um, your testimony, I guess, you know, if you want to call it that, um, of, struggling with pornography and then how you were able to overcome it. And then maybe even how, what, you know, what led you to start um, the ministry that you're doing now? Yeah. Um, As I said before, um, I was exposed to porn at the age of 10 years old. I used to say I found porn when I was 10 years old. Um, But I realized that's kind of the wrong, wrong way of saying that when you're 10 years old, you really don't have the cognitive ability to like make good decisions. Right. So certain situations, certain things were, um, allowed me to be exposed to porn in my, in my, in my household. And so I was exposed to porn at the age of 10 and it was my older brother's magazine who even he was 
too young for, um, but he had had it in the home. And I found it in his bathroom one day after school. Talking about magazines, um, you know, Playboy in many ways was pretty mild and still is um, in terms of what you're actually seeing on paper, um, actually looking at. Obviously, they have a whole channel now. So obviously, there's there's more stuff going on with Playboy now. But at the time, um, Playboy was pretty mild. This particular magazine was a different type. Um, it was not a Playboy magazine. It was a different brand. I won't name it because it's very graphic, but um, it was not just centerfold models. This was actual sexual acts on paper, um, penetration, all of that. Pardon my language if that triggers anybody. Um, but that, um, so it was not just me seeing naked women on a page. This was men and women um, in different groups and scenarios in this magazine. And so it was like, incredibly shocking especially to my 10 year old heart mind eyes all of that um at that point i hadn't really even been told much about sex um, from 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 a parent and so this was my sexual education mm. was this was this magazine that was extremely graphic sexually um and i don't know why exactly and obviously thinking back to almost 30 years ago it's hard to really think about what that 10 year old was thinking um but it she was intrigued she was excited by it she was also a little scared of it um but also but that but that intrigue that curiosity just overshadowed any sort of fear or feelings of this this is not for me i shouldn't be doing this um and i just continued to just consume this magazine um every page just page after page after page and I, I can still remember those images almost 30 years later um, because they were so shocking to me as a 10 year old girl um and that I could have obviously made a better choice that day I could have put it away I could have told my parents um what that what I what I had found um but I think for the first time in my life I actually felt shame um not just i'm in trouble shame but like something's wrong with me shame um because there was a part of me that liked it there was a part of me that was intrigued by it that excited me in a way that i had never felt before i've often said that my first love was food um that i was kind of a binge eater as a child i really ate my feelings when i was young and part of that was um feeling isolated, feeling rejection, feeling a little bit of abandonment in my household with my dad traveling full-time. My mom had clinical depression. And so I was alone a lot, even though I had brothers, they weren't home very much at all. And, and I was home alone a lot. And so I think for me, when I found porn that day, when I was 10 years old, it was like a brand new opportunity for escape, a brand new opportunity to feel better, to feel good um obviously at 10 years old I didn't know that I didn't know that's why I was engaging in this that came later with through counseling and therapy but um I engaged in that magazine on a nearly daily basis um until one day it wasn't there anymore mm. um thinking about it in terms of like how long was that I don't remember um you know it was all kind of it all kind of bleeds together but certainly it was probably a good year year and a half probably of different magazines that would be kind of coming in and out of there um but when it when it was no longer there 
um, it really, it was like a big deal. Like I was like, oh, well, I can't, I can't where, where can I find this again? And I scoured his, his bedroom. I scoured the bathroom. I scoured my entire house trying to find material like this, um, which ultimately led me to my dad's movie cabinet, which he didn't have porn, but he had R-rated movies with sexual content. So I would just like put those into the VCR. He doesn't even know what a VCR is anymore. Um, put those in there. Fast forward um, to scenes that had nudity or sex, anything that would kind of give me that same kind of feeling, same satisfaction, same high. Um, eventually, we got a computer in the home. It was dial-up internet, but it worked just like the internet does today. Um, but my parents had put um, content blocks at the time on that, um, but they weren't very effective. And they also weren't thinking about me in terms of who they were monitoring. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of the least of their of their thoughts that our daughter would be watching porn. And so I could navigate um, porn through chat rooms, um, other things to kind of navigate through. I didn't even know what the word porn was, pornography was. I didn't, I didn't know that there was a name for what I was looking at. So if I were to look something up, it was usually just sex, nudity, naked women, boobs, you know, those types of like just how young people think about um, these things. And eventually that led me to watching porn at school in the library. Um, so I really was kind of unabashed about it. I kind of looked at it anywhere I could. And that ultimately led to compulsive masturbation issues. Um, I also engaged in like phone sex, cyber sex, talking to strangers who are probably adults. And I was I, clearly not an adult. Um, putting myself in pretty dangerous situations, to be honest. Um, and I really was, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of of like what the risks were. I was thinking about it in terms of how do I get my next fix? How do I get my next high? Um, and eventually I started going to church with my mom. I was 16 when I came to faith at a, at a church summer camp. Um, and in many ways, that experience of becoming a Christian, becoming being saved, um, just filled me with more shame. Hmm. Um, just more like because because especially then it was like obviously I always knew this wasn't for me. Like well, I shouldn't be watching this. I'm not old enough, you know, or whatever. Um, but when I became a Christian, it was this is sin. Like this is like sexual sin this is perversion this is sexual sin this is not what i'm supposed to be doing and so it filled me with, with even greater shame and um and then this was the first time i'd heard anyone talk about porn actually was when it was at church which i find really interesting that in my whole whole like six years of watching porn the first per- first time i ever heard about porn in terms of like what i was actually watching was at church and it mm-hmm. was a sermon on a sunday morning um, where the pastor was talking about pornography, kind of a, kind of a, as part of a whole, like, I think it was like, like a sexuality series or something. Um, and he was talking about porn. And if obviously that conversation was directed towards men. Right. And so going back to what, like I was saying at the beginning, like my, the narrative around porn has always been it's a men's thing. My brother's magazine, you know, it's it's mostly women in the magazines, um, you know, all these things were telling me that this is for men. And and then even that sermon, the first time I ever heard about porn was directed towards men. Um, and so it was like, again, shame. 
just compounding over and over about who I am, what I'm doing. Um, My identity was so wrapped up in how dirty, how wrong, how messed up I must be to be watching porn, to be addicted to porn when I'm a woman. Um, And it was almost three years before I ever met a woman who shared her, Mm. her porn story. Um, I was almost 19. It was actually was my 19th birthday um, that I met a woman at a church event. And the thing about church events too, was I was doing everything I could to just like through osmosis, like be set free. So I was volunteering everywhere. I was singing Mm. in the youth group band. Like I was doing everything I could just to be a good Christian to make this thing go away. And it just never did. But I prayed and prayed and prayed for God to like either release me from this or to bring someone into my life who I could tell. Um, so I had a lot of fear about who to tell. I really thought that by telling someone they would, they would probably send me away. Like I would mean there's something wrong with me. I'd have to go to some clinic or something. Um, a lot of fear around that. Um, but I was at this event when I was 19 on my 19th birthday a woman named Anne shared her story with me. And I'd only met her a couple of times prior to this and really were just acquaintances, but she decided to, sh- to share her story, her testimony with me that night. And part of her testimony was that when in high school, she had been really struggling with porn, um, but that she had gotten free, but she was starting to rest with it again. And, and it was kind of one of those situations where I didn't know if she somehow knew about me. <laughs> like, if, did she, you know, somehow see something, know something? Is she baiting me into, con- into confessing? Um, so again, a lot of fear, just a lot of shame, a lot of don't find out about me uh, feelings. Um, but then I realized this may be my opportunity to really, like, come clean, to really be able to share for the first time in almost in like nine years um, that I was struggling with porn. Um, and so instead of kind of running away and not telling her anything, I just said, me too. Mm. Um, again, those powerful words of me too, that um, letting someone else know that you struggle. Um, and so, and of course, she was shocked. We, we talk about it since then. Um, we're still friends, you know, that it was such a divine encounter to be able to to even have for, for her to have the courage to share that with me, but then for me to be able to be able to say me too it to her, it was just very divine. Um, and I was able to kind of through her encouragement um, go to counseling, go to therapy, um, work on the deeper issues beyond uh, under the behavior, and to um, use her for accountability for a while, and ultimately that led to just freedom. Um, mm-hmm. no longer in bondage to, to porn, um, but to be set free. Uh, and so, um, so 19, 20, 21 probably is my recovery period of life. Um, ebbs and flows, ups and downs, um, with that. And then, um, really began just, just to feel set free where it was no become a non-issue by the time I was 22. Um, hadn't talked to anybody about it other than her and my counselor, and um kind of was gonna be set with that like i'm like okay that's that's good <laughs> you know i don't need to tell anybody else about my story um i was on church staff um event, found myself on church staff doing graphic design and um our pastor had an affair really come out that he'd been having a long-term affair same pastor who was talking about porn all those years ago mm. um had been having a long-term affair with another staff member 
and this was probably, this was 2006. Um, and I was 23, 24. I don't even remember now. Um, but 2006 and it was really the catalytic event for me. Um, one that other people struggle with sexual sin. Christians struggle with sexual sin. Um, even those who you think have it all together, like a pastor, struggle with sexual sin. Um, and it was, I really felt the Holy Spirit leading me to begin sharing my story um, because I had been through something. I had, I had overcome something through the Holy Spirit and through surrendering to the Lord and really healing. Um, and I needed to share it with others. And so by 2007, I was leading a small group at my church. I was blogging about it, um, things like that. And boom, like within by 2009, um, really started the ministry. By 2010, I um, was in the New York Times talking about my, my, my groups that I was leading. And it just kind of became much bigger than, than me um, in many ways, um, more than me and my story. And um, by 2011, my first book came out, Dirty Girls Come Clean, and we started, you know, the ministry from there. And um, 2019, we rebranded to She Recovery from a different ministry name, um, and it's been, it's been growing exponentially ever since. Really, COVID in many ways um, brought a lot more women to us in terms of just looking for online support because um, all of our services are virtual, but um, it's been quite a journey. Um, it's been, it, for many years, it was a valley journey, very deep in the valley, and really feeling like I was, again, the only one um, doing this stuff, but we were, we're seeing more and more women stepping up, um, talking about their stories, providing safe spaces for recovery, um, and we continue to grow as an organization. It's been really cool to see. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's cool to hear what your testimonies led to, you know, to be able to help other women and encouraging other women to share their stories. And that exponential approach mm -hmm. uh, is so great. I think when people experience vulnerability, uh, it's contagious. You know, it's contagious because mm -hmm. when we're vulnerable, then I, I just I, I say this quite a bit on the podcast that if we believe in grace, we're going to be vulnerable. Like if yeah. we believe in grace, we're like, Hey, we all got stuff, you know, mm -hmm. that we're forgiven of. So yeah. let's talk, let's talk about those things that grace has healed us of. And then it, it encourages others, you know, start to do mm -hmm. that as well. So that's awesome. And I'm really glad listeners get to hear that. Um, can you talk a little bit about, so I've got your uh, uh, 90 days of wholeness here uh, with me. Yeah. And I'm, mm -hmm. uh, I saw that back there encouraging uh, we'll be encouraging listeners to pick up that and some of your other resources as well. Um, I I read some of it and I liked, you know, you're talking about intimacy disorders in there and um, just a lot of relatability, you know, stuff there. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can just kind of talk about that, um, what the intimacy disorder piece and kind of what's um, what's often underneath the surface, right? You, you know, mm -hmm. you were talking you were, you said earlier about there's the the behavior level and then there's yeah. the stuff going on beneath the surface mm -hmm. um and if you can just kind of kind of talk about that and or um like your general approach when a when a, a woman is if maybe there's a woman listening that's like you know I need some help um mm -hmm. what would your general approach be to help a woman you know find freedom from this yeah 
Um, so 90 Days to Wholeness is an, an, an expounded upon version of, of the Dirty Girls Come Clean. So Dirty Girls Come Clean was the the five steps, the surrender, confession, accountability, responsibility, and sharing. And I take those steps and I expound on them. And then in the, in the 90-day devotional, every, every 18 days, it changes steps. Um, but it walks women through a, a scripture, a, a discussion prompt. It encourages them to journal. Um, and so it's really a, a great entryway into recovery. Or if you've been in recovery for a while, it's a great refresher. Um, but um, the understanding that porn, sex, masturbation, shopping, eating, drugs, alcohol, all of these things are just behaviors. They really are just behaviors. Um, they're coping mechanisms. They're coping mm-hmm. behaviors for something else. And so, and I really believe that I, I completely believe that, that these are just behaviors. And that's why we have, we can't get so wrapped up in the shame of the, of the behavior. Um, and I think that's, that's important too, is because we think about porn and sex and it's like, oh, so shameful. But it's like, if we could think about those in terms of just behavior, those are just things you're doing. It's not who you are. It's not um, your identity. It's behavior. And you're medicating something that's deeper inside. And so our whole approach at She Recovery and through our counseling practice, Living on Purpose, is to help you navigate those deeper areas. Get to the root of why you watch porn. Because if you don't, you do experience what, what I experienced at 10 years old. It went from, from food to porn and then for a while back to food. There, there can be a transference of, of, of behavior. So if you're dealing with one thing now and you just give it up cold turkey and become sober, you really can just end up navigating to some other behavior that maybe is more palatable, but it's still not good for you. You're still using it as medication. You're still using yeah. it to cope. Um, and so it's really important that we don't have that transference experience, that we do really come to that place of true um, healing and overcoming. And I always say, um, you know, recovery looks like progress and it's not about perfection, but it's about progress. And if you can get to that point where you can get to a place where you are sober, it's obviously easier to deal with what's underneath that. Um, but sober is not enough. You have to work on, on the why. And so that only is our approach. We have counselors and coaches on our team, who are available to provide virtual services. We we do walk women through the, those deeper issues, helping them navigate um, what's going on. Oftentimes it's trauma. Oftentimes it's, um, you know, abandonment issues. It's rejection issues. Um, it's it's some fatherlessness or difficulty with parents. Um, just things like that that, are, that have caused them to kind of replace um, intimate relationship. So intimacy with kind of this false sense of intimacy through porn or masturbation or sex um, in, in some cases. And so understanding that this is an intimacy disorder is really important. Um, that looks different for everyone in terms of what is that, what does that mean? What does that look like? And so again, talking about it, it could be abandonment, it could be um, rejection, it could be a parent issue. Um, but it's basically about having an unhealthy intimacy um, or, or a disordered intimacy where you haven't learned how to navigate relationships or to experience love or to experience affection in a healthy way. 
And you, so you've replaced healthy affection, healthy intimacy, healthy attention, healthy affirmation with what porn and masturbation have offered you. Um, and again, I, I can look at a lot of my people, even, even men, and say, you know, when did this start for you? And maybe it wasn't porn is how it started, but other issues that you were using to cope. And so it could be food, nail biting, could be um, collecting, playing a certain like gaming, um, all kinds of things that came first and then became um, the porn problem later. And so I often try to look for that first and say, when did your coping begin Mm. and what did it look like? Um, It's oftentimes it wasn't porn. Um, Sometimes it is masturbation because you were sexually abused and things like that. So you were using masturbation early on. Um, as a way to cope with what happened to you and understand what happened to you. Um, but there's always a deeper reason for why you're using porn. And so I try to navigate to the very beginning because we have to go to the past to get to where we want to get to in the future yeah. um, and deal with and deal with that and get to that, get to the heart of it. So if someone goes to she recovery.com uh, as I'm looking at it, there's uh looks like there's chances for one-on-one counseling. There's also some weekly uh, group meetings. Is that right? There's times of prayer, things like that. If someone's mm-hmm. looking for um, community around this, account- accountability around this, is that something that they can find at She Recovery? Yeah, we actually have meetings every day of the week um, over Zoom at various times. So we're available from wherever you are around the world um, for our virtual uh, meetings. We call it our membership. Um, and so you're able to attend unlimited meetings. You, you get to be part of our chat communities on our app um, and things like that. We also have our, our weekly prayer night. We have a prayer meeting every week as well. Um, I kind of look at our approach or our offerings as, as kind of a three steps. Um, and the first step might be that you just join our Facebook group, which is really just kind of sticking your toe into recovery, mm-hmm. seeing other women who are struggling. Cause there's like almost a thousand women in that group. So, um, there's lots of women there who are talking about their struggle. Um, and so it's a way to kind of like, just kind of get just your first step into, into recovery or into the understanding you're not alone. And then the second step would be, hopefully you join our membership and you join a meeting because that's going to be like going kind of waist deep into recovery. You're going to be, you're going to be in a smaller group of women. You're going to be engaging with them. You're going to get accountability and support and prayer. All of our group leaders are either counselors or, or certified coaches or who have been in long-term recovery. So these are women who have been where you are. They have they have the skill set to walk you through this stuff. Um, it's not They're not therapeutic. They're not therapy or counseling, but they are a way to kind of dive into recovery um, and, and receive that greater intimacy with other women who are struggling. Um, but then what we hope happens is that by doing our membership and you don't have to go in this order, obviously, but what hopefully happens is by engaging in those meetings, you start to understand that again, this is not just a behavioral issue. There's more going on. And so we hope that you will jump like all in and, and talk with one of our coaches and counselors and really dig into, into the why under the behavior. Yeah. Well, thank you, Crystal. This has been super helpful. And I I love having a resource like yours as my go-to resource for women that are struggling. I get asked a fair amount because of the talks that I'm doing. And I always try to give, I always try to give both. And um, so I just really appreciate uh, what you're doing. But before I let you go, is there any just kind of last words that you'd like to share with listeners who are listening to this episode? 
Yeah. I mean, who, who is your, who's your primary audience? I'd love to just kind of talk to them. Yeah. Good question. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, um, I think there's a decent amount of guys listening, right, from my Beyond the Battle stuff and some of our Beyond the Battle alumni um, that are listening, guys that are that are struggling or on their recovery journey uh, with porn. Um, I I know, um, but I I I, uh, I don't know. Christians, Christians are my <laughs> Christians. primary audience. I would yeah. say, um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm going to speak to the guys who are listening because I always say that in terms of this movement of women recover in recovery, I always say that it's it, men can be our greatest advocates because they're the ones who are hearing the sermons, they are the ones who are giving the sermons, they are the ones who um, are in recovery potentially and maybe navigating that in a way that they would be able to say you know, this isn't just a men's issue, you know, and they can start to advocate for us on our behalf. Mm. It seems like women have been talking about this for a really long time. At least I have for 15 plus years, and it's really hasn't changed the narrative much. And I do think it's going to take men kind of advocating on our behalf to say, it's not just us, it's women too, um, to be able to really get um, a movement going to really to really push through this barrier, especially within the church, um, to be able to get the help that women need. Amen. Well, you've won me over, uh, Crystal, and I really do appreciate what you're doing. Um, we were when I was doing young adult ministry um, prior to the, I planted a church, but just a few years ago, I was doing young adult ministry, and we had some women. Uh, who who bravely uh, came forward after I shared my testimony and they were like, hey, we what about us? You know, and uh, one of them wanted to share her testimony and uh, we sent bought a bunch of resources uh, and she um, this is what I keep grabbing more than one thing here. This is what she uh, picked, you know, 90 Days of Wholeness was uh, her favorite. And they uh, she started leading groups within the young adult ministry and continues um, to do that. And so. Uh, just thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story and for what you're doing. And may God uh, continue to bless it and continue to bring, you know, healing uh, to women through through She Recovery. So thanks so much. Thanks for coming on to the flip side. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, too. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Crystal Renaud Day. I hope it was challenging and made you think. And and most of all, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with unwanted sexual behavior, reach out for help. Uh, if you're a guy, go to beyondthebattle.net, join one of our groups. If you're uh, a woman, I uh, highly encourage you to pick up a copy of 90 Days to Wholeness. There it is. Uh, 90 Days to Wholeness and check out sherecovery.com. And uh, thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being a listener on the flip side. Thank you for supporting uh, what I do with Beyond the Battle and helping guys uh, find community and get out of uh, porn addictions and, and other kinds of unwanted sexual behavior. Like I said in the intro, if you'd like to support in a more robust way, uh, you can go to noahphilippiak.com slash give or beyondthebattle.net slash give. Uh, we are now our 501c3. Those gifts will be uh, tax deductible and they will they'll really will make this sustainable. They'll allow me 
to have a sustainable role at my church, uh, bringing in some other pastors where we can share the load together, work on a team which is healthy and is by far uh, my preference where I can go uh, into a part-time role at the church and then to be able to do uh, the podcast and Beyond Ministries and other writing uh, as the other part of uh, my income. And so thank you so much to those that already support and uh, via Patreon and for those that would like to uh, to, to support in a more uh, full way. Thank you in advance. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, stay tuned for further five-minute flips, long-form episodes. And of course, you can go to youtube.com uh, slash Noah Flipiak to watch all of these Flipside episodes. Uh, we appreciate your support and love over there as well. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And I will see you next time on The Flipside. The Flipside with Noah Philippia is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippia. www.noahphilippiac.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K-Lake Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. You ever-